Hi, Willow Park Church. Thank you so much for joining us online. What a blessing it is to be able to gather this way. And as we gather together, let's prepare our hearts to how the Lord is going to speak to us through the worship and also through the word. We continue our journey in Daniel. What a powerful message uh, Daniel has proven to be. In a time of uncertainty, in a time of shifting and moving, we can know the truth that God is sovereign, that he is with us, that we can trust him and know that ultimately our hope is not in the kingdoms of this world, but our hope is in the kingdom, the kingdom that will reign from everlasting to everlasting. So good morning. Thank you for joining us. Let me pray. Father, we are so blessed to be able to join online in this way. And Lord, we pray that as we step into this service for each individual that is connecting with us, that they may experience a profound sense of Jesus within their lives. We thank you, Lord, for the power of the cross that has changed our lives. We thank you that this morning we can declare that God is good. We can declare that you have brought us home to yourself, that you came from from heaven itself, to come amongst humanity, to be human, simply to fetch us back to the heart of the Father. And Lord, I pray that as we worship now together, and I pray, Lord, as we gather, that Lord, you will be with us. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen. What a week we've had, and 21 days of prayer, connecting online, 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. It's been remarkable to have that level of engagement. One more week to go, as no doubt you are here. But this is a time for you not to back off, to step in, to push in, to spend that time connecting with God. Uh, I think many of us will agree that we need to be a church that is faithfully seeking God in prayer and fostering that closeness and that intimacy with Christ. And as we begin this, we're going to go over to worship. And as we worship together, may the Lord encourage you. Welcome, Willow Park Church. Good to have you join us today. We're going to worship Jesus. And uh, we're going to start off with your love awakens me. So if this is nine o'clock in the morning, your love is going to, God's love is going to awaken you. Okay, so let's get up. Let's praise Jesus and uh, worship him together. Awakens, awakens me. Your love is stronger. 
has woken us up, that you took us out of the darkness and into your glorious light, that you opened our eyes, that you swapped out a heart of stone for a heart of flesh. Father, we are so grateful that you chose us, that you, before the beginning of the world, before the foundation of the world, you said, that one's mine. Oh God, what an amazing gift of salvation. Father, help us to understand a little bit more of the mystery that means that we are children of God. And Lord, that we can see your grace in every season of our lives because of that salvation. Jesus, your love is mine. My- 
Thank you, Zoe, for that worship, and thank you, worship team. Be thou my vision. I have always loved that hymn. Right from the day that I found the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour in my mid-teens, 
We used to sing that hymn. And then, of course, it was revised and beautifully uh, added to and really speaks of filling your mind and filling your heart with a vision of God. I think that's so important today that we are a people that continually fill our heart with a vision of God. Even as we travel through our day and we go to work and wake up in the morning and fall to sleep in the evening, that we have that sense of continuous prayer, continuous awareness that God is with us, that his peace surrounds us. As the ancient Celtic missionaries used to pray, that God was before you, God is behind you, God is beside you, God is above you and God is below you. That imagery that we know that he is with us, he surrounds us and he loves us. And that's a perfect thought for us as we step into communion. And as you take a moment and look at the emblems, uh, as you pick up your bread and hold your juice or your wine for this moment, we are reminded of the cost, the commitment, the sacrifice that God gave to humanity to come and to rescue us, to bring us home, to bring us back. I remember even as a young teenager sat in our little church, looking at the bread on the table and reminding myself that his body was broken for me. That every time that I came to the communion table, I would rededicate my life to Christ that I would affirm that I would be a child of God and I would give everything to him, that I would not wander. And my prayer in those early years was simply this, Lord Jesus, keep me faithful to the end of my life to you. Forty years later, I still sense and know the power of salvation within my life. He's answered that prayer for 40 years. He's answered that prayer every day because I don't believe a day has passed in my life when I haven't woken up and thought about Jesus. Even through the most difficult of times, I've always, every day, had an awareness and a belief that Jesus Christ is my Saviour and my Lord. How about you? Maybe this is the moment where you, as you hold the bread, that you again hand your life over to Christ and ask him to meet with you. Remember what he went through on the cross, that he took it all for us, that he came to grab humanity and to bring us to safety, and that he was willing to take the full Punishment of sin, willing, willing to be our sacrifice because of God's love. Father, thank you for the bread. Thank you for this moment where we can remember Christ. And Lord, we pray and thank you for it. And we pray in this moment that you will come close to us. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit.
the body of Christ, which is broken for you, eat it in remembrance of him. I have to say that I remember also sat in that church watching the cup. And in those days, we used to pass around a large goblet, a glass goblet from person to person. And we used to drink of it and remind ourselves that we are only forgiven. We are only clean. We are only made whole. We're only atoned for by the blood of Christ. And the blood of Christ speaks of forgiveness, of new beginnings. And so, Father, we thank you for the blood of Christ that takes away the sins of the world. And Lord, as we rededicate or offer our lives over to you, we are blessed to be able to take communion. Thank you, Lord. The blood of Christ that takes away the sins of the world. What a powerful message. The message of the cross. The message of salvation. The message that Jesus Christ comes and redeems us and saves us and what a blessing that is so now we're going to take a moment and see that what is all taking place within willow park church willow one news and celebrate all of the great activities that are taking place so please watch this and then we'll be stepping into daniel and the message that comes from daniel for our lives today Hello Willow Park Church, my name is Courtney. Thank you for joining us today. Here is your family news. We are really excited about the Marriage Course, a series of seven sessions designed to help couples invest in their relationships and build a strong marriage. This free course starts this week and couples can pick a time and day that works best for them. If you're interested, please register before Tuesday at noon. We are really enjoying seeing so many of you at our drive-in services each Sunday at Willow Park Church on Highway 33. Today, we have two drive-in services at 10.30 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. for Pursuit. There is no pre-registration required, but please arrive early as we are limited to 50 vehicles at a time. We look forward to seeing you there. Have you been enjoying our 21 days of prayer? If you haven't found a way to participate yet, it's not too late to join in. You can sign up for our daily prayer devotional emails or join us for an online prayer gathering every day at 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. Monday through Friday. You can also submit your prayer requests to us on our website so we can pray for you. Learn more about all of these things at willowparkchurch.com slash 21 days. 
Join us next week, February 1st at 7 p.m. for our Willow One prayer. This is an opportunity to gather as an entire church family to seek God together and celebrate what God has done during our 21 days of prayer. Learn more at willowparkchurch.com slash willowoneprayer. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. Well, we're going to continue with our journey through uh, Daniel. We're in Daniel chapter 2, part 2 of this really interesting chapter that will describe an image, of course, of the great statue that came to Nebuchadnezzar in his dream. Before I do that, let me just uh, give thanks for all that God is doing with Willow Park Church. I had a text that this morning that told me that we had 105 couples booked in for uh, the marriage course, Alpha Marriage. So that is so exciting. So if I can encourage you again to keep praying for that, just asking the Lord to move and work. Uh, Tuesday, 12 noon is the cutoff point for the course. So uh, if you are considering doing that or you've joined us online and you would love to do uh, marriage course, marriage alpha, we would be delighted if you did that. And it'd be great to connect with you. Also, we've got the prayer continuing. And so 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., uh, Monday through to Friday, this final week, we are looking forward to continuing to seek God for the three things that we're praying about. It's not too late to start to fast, to start to pray, to step in, to allow the Lord to do something. If you're not receiving the devotionals every day, make sure you receive those de- devotionals. They're uh, designed that they will inspire and encourage you to go deeper into your prayer. You don't even have to re- uh, read them. You can listen to them as there's an audio version that goes with that. So we are continuing with our story of Daniel. If I can remind you where we're at within our narrative. Daniel, of course, was taken to Babylon. And there we understand that in Babylon, Daniel was being trained to become one of the wise men. One of those amongst the elite within Babylonian society. He was to learn all about uh, the literature, the language, the astrology of Babylon. Quite remarkable. And there he started to um, devote himself to the Lord. Even though he'd been renamed Belshazzar, he wanted to keep the name of the Lord deep within his heart. And I think that's so challenging for us. And as we understand that in those turbulent days of the rise of the Babylonian Empire, we understand that the real power of the book of Daniel communicates the sovereignty of God. Not only does it communicate the sovereignty of God, it communicates the faithfulness of his people while they're in exile. And for every one of us, we are in exile. But God calls us, no matter what our circumstances are, God calls us to be, to be faithful. To say, yes, I trust you, Lord. My hope is in God. My hope is to follow God and to understand that God is at work and to understand that God is with us and speaking to us. Now, of course, in the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. 
Of course, in the last few verses of the book of Daniel, we start to move into end times, of which Daniel is so famous for. And we start to understand some key things. But first of all, before we step into the eschatology of Daniel, which has been debated in so many ways for centuries, it is a remarkable colourful, glorious book that is full of images. And each of the first six chapters tell individual stories of a problem and how God comes and rescues his people. There's a problem, there's a response, and, and then God comes through and rescues Daniel and his friends. God speaks in power. It's quite uh, fantastic. But as we begin uh, this journey, I want to mention a couple of things. The first thing, of course, is that Daniel received the wisdom from the Lord. And I think it's important that as we move forward in today's culture, with all of the opinions, with all the Facebook updates, with everything that is taking place, that we are a people who look for the wisdom of the Lord. Now, the wisdom of the Lord isn't just simply... A self-help book. The wisdom of the Lord and the Proverbs of the Lord and the wisdom of Scripture isn't simply designed as if, oh, these are the Proverbs, these are the words, and it's all about just applying those words. No. The wisdom of the Lord is rooted in Daniel's deep relationship with God. And true wisdom is found in relationship with God. And true wisdom is found in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ himself is the wisdom of God revealed to the world. So what I'm saying here is that we may think it's just about uh, the, the kind of wisdom that we may quote. But actually what Daniel teaches us, it teaches us that it is about relationship with God and intimacy with God and that prayer relationship with God that is revealed in our lives. And when we have that intimacy with God and that relationship with God, something remarkable happens. We receive revelation that God speaks to us. That God is with us. And can I remind you that the Christian faith is a faith of revelation. It's not just about knowledge. It's about God revealing himself to you and to me in relationship. That there was a time when we did not know God. There was a time when we did not experience God. But there is suddenly that moment when God becomes real to us in true wisdom, in true revelation, in true relationship. And we experience God. Our relationship with God is incredible. This revelation that we received has changed our lives. And I think as Christians in today's world, we need to live and look for the wisdom of Jesus in every situation. We need to look and live for the revelation of the word of God within our life and what God is saying to us and speaking to us today. That God will guide us and lead us. And of course, Daniel, he spoke about the future. He predicted the future. He had confidence in his God. He had confidence that God would work and God would move. And as I pointed out last week, the real 
uh, battle is not between Daniel and the wise men of the court. The real battle is between the supremacy of Yahweh against the pagan gods. And of course, the pagan gods have a certain amount of influence and power because Paul teaches us that the pagan gods are are demonic forces and they influence us. And when we look at astrology and we look at the power of... um, of, of kind of mediums and contacting the dead and the future and spells. There is a demonic power that is behind those things. And yet the God of Yahweh knows all things. The God of Yahweh knows the thoughts of, 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 of each human being and he is powerful. And I just want to say for a few moments and remind you that, that over the occult, over the power of darkness, God is supreme, that the devil has no authority in our lives unless we give it to him. The devil has no authority or legal license over us unless we allow him to come into our lives. I'm always reminded of a story before my mother-in-law became a Christian and she used to run uh, a special charity events when a medium used to come and sit in their living room and people from the community used to come and line up all down the street to get their future, their palms read by this uh, mystic who would arrive in the town. People would pay a certain amount of money. The money would go to the mystic, to the astrologer, or, or, and go to the charity, and it would be split. It was for a good cause, but using a very negative power. Well, over the road was a lady from the local Brethren Church who called Muriel, and she started to pray for this family. And in the middle of the night, she ran over the road and she would put her hands on the house where these events were taking place and pray that God's salvation and God's power would come to that home and then run across in a nighty. Brilliant. I can, you know the rest of the story. That some months later, a remarkable healing happened when Michelle was healed. And months later, the family started to give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation came to that home. That tells me something. That no power of a medium, no power of an astrologer, no power of those that foretell the future is greater than the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit at work. And Daniel is teaching us something profound, that that God is powerful, that God is mighty. And yes, there are those moments, and I've met those mediums, I've talked to them when they've spoken things that they should not know, but the only reason they know those things is because of familiar spirits. And those familiar spirits are those whispers of darkness that tell them information that bring a curse on people's lives. But when you meet Jesus, and when you meet the light of God, and you meet the love of God, people 
that are bound up in the cult can become free. People that are involved in astrology and witchcraft, and I've seen it again and again and again, the power of Christ to deliver people from darkness. And that should encourage us. The new age has no power over us. These things have no authority in our life because when Jesus Christ died upon the cross, he defeated sin. Therefore, he defeated Satan. Therefore, he defeated death and he has set us free. So with that having been said, our revelation comes from our relationship with God. Our wisdom comes by being close to Jesus. It is a living, beautiful, remarkable relationship that you and I have. Now you may feel you want to run across the road in your nightdress at 2 a.m. in the morning to place your hands on a house that you're praying that God will move. And I say, well, go have at it. Prayer walk your street. Pray for your city. Pray that God will move. I remember once when the uh, Druids, and yes, there are still Druids, who worshipped the ancient pagan gods of Britain, were coming to my hometown to have their national Druid conference. Hundreds of Druids were coming to gather. I didn't want that as a local pastor, young pastor. And the paper phoned me up and said, what do you think about all these Druids coming to this town? I said, well, I, I, you know, we will pray for them. We will ask that God will move in power. We'll ask that God will work. I said, the history between Christians and Druids has been quite rich. And in the ancient days, the missionaries went to the Druids and so many tribes gave their lives to Christ and were baptized. So I'm going to pray that as they come to my town, they will discover the truth and the revelation of a true God in heaven that knows all mysteries like Daniel. So we got to work. We prayer walked the streets. We went and stood at every entrance to our ancient market town. And we prayed that the doors would be closed. We prayed that the Druids conference wouldn't happen. Simply like that. And three weeks later, the conference was, was cancelled because of lack of interest and lack of people coming to the event. Praise God. God is in control. And I want you to know that authority in your own life as you pray and as you believe that God is in control. And that in the same way, the power of Christ is preached across Africa and around the world and people are freed from darkness. There is a darkness in Canada and that freedom is available for us today. Verse 24 of chapter 2. Let me remind you and pull out some verses. Then Daniel went to Akron who the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon and said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret the dream for him. Look at verse 27. Daniel replied, no wise man or enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and your vision that passes through your mind as you were lying in your, uh, your bed. As 
Your majesty was lying there. Your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and its arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. And while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze and the silver, the gold were all broken to pieces because became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Let's start to understand this. This is a prophetic dream of what is going to take place in the future. First of all, he says, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret the dream for him. So, of course, Daniel has been in prayer. He's sought God. He's praised God. God has revealed the wisdom. And he says, now take me. I am ready to go. And of course, as he goes... The king says, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel says, no man can. You can imagine at that point, Nebuchadnezzar rolling his eyes and thinking, really? No man can? This is ridiculous. You brought me another loser. You brought me another wise man that doesn't know. No man can. But of course, but there is a God in heaven. Daniel at that moment reveals... That the reason he knows about this dream is because he has a relationship with the God in heaven. It's not about his credit. It's not about his glory. It's not about Daniel being the wisest of men. It's not about Daniel standing up and looking proud and looking arrogant as if he has mastered the dark arts of the future. No way. Because he says, no man can know this, but there is a God in heaven who reveals these things. And that's an important point. That Daniel's position was one of humility and one of always seeking God. It was not one of arrogance and pride. Arrogance and pride belonged to Nebuchadnezzar. But to us as Christians, as we seek God's presence, that revelation comes to us because of our connection with the God in heaven. Whatever problem you are facing, I want to encourage you to connect with the God in heaven for a moment of revelation. That God will be with you. That God will guide you. That God will give you the wisdom for the problem that you are facing right now. 
But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown the king Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the vision that passed through your mind as you lay on, on the bed are these. Then, of course, he explains what he saw. A great statue. You saw this statue and it was made of a head of gold. It was made of uh, shoulders of silver. It was made of a torso of bronze. It was made of legs of iron. And at its feet, it was mixed with iron and, of course, with clay. And out of a mountain came a small rock, not made by the hands of man, that rose up and came and destroyed that um, that statue completely. Interesting. I just want to remind you that it is God that knows the thoughts of human beings. It is God that knows the heart of human beings. It is God that knows the future of human beings. That God knows all things. This was revealed in the life of Jesus. When you remember when Jesus met the woman at the well, she ran off in John chapter 4 and says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah? Well, yes, it was the Christ. But he knew everything about that woman's pain, about that woman's agony, about that woman's loneliness, about that woman's isolation. And today it's no different. Daniel interprets the dream and tells the dream because of his relationship with God. This woman's life is utterly changed because of an encounter with Jesus Christ. Even when the man was lowered through the roof in Mark chapter 2 and was healed and Jesus forgave his sins. Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? When the religious teachers and the Pharisees were there, they looked around and he instantly knew their heart. He instantly knew their thoughts. He instantly knew what was going on in their lives. God knows. Now this can either frighten us or it can excite us. Because it means that God knows the pain and the burden that you are carrying. It means that God knows the difficulties that you are facing. It means that in your loneliness, God is with you. He knows our heart. He knows the future. And he knows our mind. So let's get back to the dream. So he says, it is, let me explain the dream to you. The dream is quite exact. And the dream starts with the head of gold. And Daniel explains to him that the head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar's empire, the Babylonians. And this is the great Babylonian empire. And what Daniel starts to do, he sees the interpretation of the dream, is that he sees that there will be great events and great kingdoms that will rise up before the little rock comes. So first of all is Nebuchadnezzar and of course Babylon. 
But after you, a lesser kingdom will come. Nebuchadnezzar seems quite relieved at this. At the end of the dream, he's like, oh, at least I'm going to be a head of gold. And, and in the future, things are going to go completely badly. A bit like Hezekiah when he heard that, that he was going to be blessed. But future generations, he was kind of thinking of himself. Well, I'm great Nebuchadnezzar. I'm the head of gold. And then there's silver, which is the Persian empire that would rise up and come. And then there would be the bronze, which is the Greek empire under Alexander the Great that would rise up and come. And then there would be the, the empire of iron. Now, of course, in Christian circles and in evangelical circles, there is lots of debate about who these kingdoms are. But I want to keep to a pretty clear line on this, that I actually do believe as many evangelicals do, that this is talking about the emergence of the kingdom of God and the beginning of the little rock. What is the little rock? What is taking place? In the dream, we don't hear much about the Persian and Mede empire. and We don't hear much about Alexander the Great and the Greek empire of bronze. But we do hear a lot about the next empire that would come with iron and would rule the world and then would have feet of clay and iron, which is often referred to in most opinions as the Roman Empire that rises up. And this Roman Empire would come as iron that breaks and smashes everything. And believe me, from about 390 BC, the Roman Empire started to rise up. It started to become dominant. There were times when they lost battles, but generally they defeated their enemies. When the Gauls came down and they conquered Rome around 390, but they were driven back again. That was a remarkable event and Rome started to feel its power. Rome battled in Italy with the Carthage Empire, the, the Venetians and the, and the Carthagians over what they call the Punic Wars of three great wars that happened in a period over a hundred years to about uh, 290 BC. Hannibal, of course, Hannibal coming over the Alps was the second of those great wars that took place and happened. And then they defeated the Carthage Empire. <clears throat> and so now they ruled the whole of um, Italy and the whole of North Africa. And they turned their eyes towards another place, Macedonia. And they marched towards Greece where Philip V was in place. And the great battle against Philip V. And they defeated Greece at the Battle of Corinth. And then they turned their eyes towards Syria. And at the Battle of Magnesium, there they defeated Syria. And somewhere around 150 BC, they ruled the world with iron. The Romans had arisen. The Romans with their legions, the Rose Romans with their power, they had come, they had defeated the Carthians, they had defeated the Greeks, they had defeated the Syrians, they had taken North Africa, they ruled over Palestine and that whole region and their empire would keep growing until it ruled over as north as Britain, Britannia, as they would rule that whole 
uh, Northern European and Spain and France. And this, this great, powerful army of iron. But what does it say about the army of iron? It says that it is partly strong and partly brittle. And that is the history of Rome. The history of Rome is that it was a mixture and it suffered with endless civil wars. It suffered with a battle between the politicians and the aristocracy. It, it, it battled between those in the Senate and those who were the farmers and the landowners. It even was brittle and mixed because it became an empire of diversity, an empire of many gods, an empire where they allowed different groups to exist. And that's why the Jewish um, faith continued because the Romans agreed with the Jews that they could worship their God, their invisible God, their invisible God, Yahweh. And, and of course they had, they, they, they adopt any religion, any temple, any groups of people. They would, they would bring them. And, and as a result, Rome became a history of civil war. It became partly strong and partly brittle. It became divided right the way to the end of the Roman Empire when it was divided between West and East with the great split of the Roman Empire that took place. It says, and the people will be a mixture and will not remain united. So this great iron empire would arise. This great iron empire would come. You know, the description is so exact that many um, critical academics have said that the book of Daniel could not in no way have been written um, in the sixth century. There's no way because it's so exact. And as we get into other chapters, you'll discover the detail that exists. The detail that is there. They say it must have been written uh, in the second century after the Greek Empire came. And it's not really talking about the Roman Empire. It's talking about the Greek Empire. I reject that personally. I don't believe that Daniel in any way was written in the second century. Why do I, re- I, I, I reject that? For two archaeological reasons. Number one. When they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, they discovered that Daniel's text was in the Dead Sea Scrolls. That it was one that they read. It was one that they enjoyed. I think they discovered six uh, items in the caves there in the Dead Sea Scrolls from 200 AD. Clearly at that time, Daniel was treated as part of the canon of the scripture of the Old Testament. And if it had been written kind of 150 BC, it wouldn't have been adopted as one of the canon and one of the true prophets and one of the, uh, with the books that the Jews read as holy and divine. Because that was too short a time for it to become a divine book, you see. Secondly, when you look at the Hebrew from the Dead Sea Scrolls, you discover that the Hebrew and the words that are used in that are words that were used 400 years earlier. 
words that were used earlier. Because language changes. They understood the Hebrew, but the meaning changes. And we know that, that words today we use were different 200 years ago. Like the word awful. You know what awful means today. It means horrible, gross, disgusting. 200 years ago, 300 years ago, the word awful meant amazing, glorious, awe-inspiring and magnificent. And so as a result of the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, we can be confident that Daniel was not written at the time of, um, of the Greek Empire, but it was written earlier under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can have confidence in the prophecies of Daniel because they had the breath of God within them moving and working. Why do I emphasize that point? Well, I emphasize that point because there's a lot of uh, criticism towards Daniel because of its exactness. But you see, when you're dealing with a God in heaven who reveals all mysteries and God knows the future, God isn't off on his predictions. God speaks clearly and absolutely. And why do I say all of this? I say it because today you and I can trust the word of God. You and I better wake up to the prophecies of scripture. You and I better wake up to the reality that there is a God in heaven. And that he, Jesus Christ, as sure as he came the first time, Jesus Christ will come the second time. And the church needs to live its life with urgency. We need to live its life with confidence. We need to believe the prophetic that has been spoken through scripture because Christ is king. Christ has rose, risen and Christ will come again. Pretty exciting stuff. So the Roman Empire, I would personally put it as the Roman Empire. And so in the time of those kings, the rulers of Rome, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush the kingdoms and bring them to the end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. What happened in the middle of the Roman Empire? What took place? A rock appeared that came not by human hands. A tiny rock that came from a great mountain. Who is the great mountain that we build our lives on? It is God himself, Yahweh. And this little rock came from the great mountain to a place called Bethlehem, lying in a manger. It's the beginning in the middle of the iron kingdom, in the middle of the kingdom mixed with clay and iron, Jesus Christ, the gift of God, the one that came from glory, the one that was incarnated into this world, came 
And why did he come? So that that little rock would rise up. That little rock would come. And that little rock would establish the beginning of a kingdom that will last from ever to ever. From generation to generation. That that little rock would rise. And they might have thought it was irrelevant. Who was this Christ in Galilee? Who is this so-called Messiah? Who is he that has come? Let me re- remind you who this rock was. This was the divine son of God, the anointed one, the Messiah. And he would rise as a rock. And this rock would fly through time and eternity. And all the kingdoms, all the statues would be destroyed. And blow away like chaff. But one kingdom will last forever. And that is the kingdom of God. And that's why I believe that Daniel 2 speaks about the rise of these particular three kingdoms. Because at the end comes the powerful rock. Christ. And the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. What did Jesus do in Mark chapter 1? The first thing he started to preach. He started to preach the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. The kingdom has come. It has arrived right now. The kingdom has come. Daniel 2.35, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Isn't that what's going to happen? Isn't that what is happening now through the church? Isn't that what's going to happen in the future when Christ returns? He will become a huge rock and his kingdom will reign for everlasting. Friends, this should excite us. This should Capture our heart. This should remind us that there's an urgency about the mission of God. That as sure as the little rock came in Bethlehem and ministered in Galilee, this kingdom has grown throughout the world to millions and billions of people that speak the name of Christ. And this will continue. It will defeat every kingdom. It will defeat every nation. And at one day there will be A mountain, huge, that will fill the whole earth. The new heavens and the new earth. Zechariah saw this. He saw the second coming of Jesus Christ on the Mount of Olives. And on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from the east to the west. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. The idea that Jesus will return must not be lost by the church. The idea that he will stand on the Mount of Olives must not be lost with with a kind of dullness that can come in the church. Let's rise up. Let's believe this with all our heart. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day there will be one Lord and his name the only name. One Lord. One Lord. I think Joseph Amathia, understood that Joseph knew that the Messiah would have to die, 
Daniel 9.26. And that he would be buried in with the rich. Isaiah 5.53 verse 9. What does Jesus say? So where is the kingdom of God moving and working today? What is the work of the little rock that is taking place? Luke captures it. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come without your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is within you. And today, the statue teaches us some things. It teaches us that God knows the future. It teaches us it's God that reveals the mysteries and the revelations to his people. It teaches us that we can know that confidence that God knows the future. As surely as these different empires grew, as surely as these different empires uh, rose up, something remarkable took place. Something remarkable happened in those days. As surely as those days, something happened. They were waiting. They were expecting the coming of the Messiah, the little rock that would birth the kingdom of God that is in you and that is within me. So come on, friends. Let's get on fire for Jesus. Let's feel the urgency to pray. Let's commit ourselves to go for God because the kingdom of God is within us. I want to finish as we with this thought. I want to encourage you to live completely for Christ and to allow the kingdom of God to flow through your life and to be at work. But maybe it's time for you to recommit yourself to Christ and get the energy of faith back. Maybe it's time for you I like to think that after this event, at the end of the chapter, Daniel was promoted to the lead wise man of all the wise men of Babylon. His three friends were also promoted. Is it possible that Daniel passed on knowledge over those years to the wise men of Babylon? He explained to them about a little rock that would come, a Messiah that would come, that would have to come after some great empires had come and passed. At a certain time when a star appeared, a light in the sky. Is it possible that the Magi, the kings of the story of Bethlehem, carried the truth that was laid the foundation in Daniel's time, that these Magi that came from Babylon, came from the east, knew the stories and the prophecies of, of Daniel. And they knew where to come to bring gifts to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The little rock that smashes everything. Can I encourage you to have confidence in your faith? You can't smash anything. You can't see breakthroughs. 
But you have to be persistent in your prayer. You've got to believe that Jesus is right with you. And that healing you're believing for, that business you're praying for, that child that you want to get well, that situation that you're facing that's like an empire that is standing there like a statue, that problem that Christ can come and that rock will defeat, will defeat. Are you going to be a man and woman of faith, of urgency and of devotion to Christ? Because you and I have had a revelation that has not come from ourselves, but has come from God. <clears throat> well, I could talk for ages. I've read loads of books on this now, and uh, I know that there's other interpretations. I know there's a lot, and I'll get into those as well when there's a bit more time, and I'll unpack about the other books that were written around uh, 200 AD, not Daniel, it was written earlier, and why people think this, and we'll unpack other ideas about what are the, the clay as well. Some people oppose this thought. Christians love to debate these things on every spectrum. But I'm, I'm passionate about that the Messiah came as a little rock to free and bring the kingdom of God. Father, help us to live our lives with passion, with zeal, with commitment. Help us, Lord, to believe The little rock, the Messiah, the anointed one has come at the right time, at the right place to change the world. How may we live with enthusiasm and excitement over this, I pray. Amen. Well, if this doesn't drive us to prayer, what will? Let's keep praying. Join us this week. Thanks so much for joining us.